Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dicko hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, one of the best evaluators if not the best evaluator of high school basketball talent on the west coast someone who's been doing it for quite some time you can find his most current work on burleson on basketball.com a friend of sb live frank burleson frank thanks for joining you've got to be excited because the eval periods are right around the corner and you get to watch some good basketball yeah it's interesting dan as you well know uh, um the pandemic with all the things that it impacted, which is certainly a whole lot of things much more significant than basketball, but in terms of college basketball, um, basically from March of 2020 until now college coaches uh, through, you know, individual institutions, edicts and the NCA as a whole uh, said, you know, no uh, in-person evaluations uh, for NCA staff, uh, division one staff members. So, Basically, uh, a couple of weeks ago in, in, in Phoenix, which they call the Section 7, there was a lot of uh, Garfield was there for one and a few other Washington teams, teams up and down the coast. That was the first opportunity that uh, NCAA schools, uh, college coaching staffs had the opportunity to see players in person. So uh, what, what's entailed in the last you know, 12, 16 months up until uh, two weeks ago and then this weekend, the first of the three live periods that the NCAA has this month. Uh, you know, coaches, the only evaluations they've been ever been able to do in terms of potential recruits is, you know, what games are being televised, what uh, stuff they could pull off a huddle, what uh, stuff they pull off ball or TV or any other, um, you know, NFHS, any other outlets where uh, games are streamed or highlights, if you will. Are, are presented. So needless to say, I think the coaches, uh, the ones I've talked to last month are really anxious to get out and actually see some of these guys in person for the first time that they, in, in some cases have been recruiting, you know, by phone or mail or email or, or text or whatnot, uh, just, you know, for the last year. So it, it, it's, uh, even more so than I think the normal, uh, evaluation periods, this one's kind of significant in terms of, coaching staffs, uh, including decision makers, AKA head coaches, finally get to lay their eyes on players and, and make some hard and fast uh, decisions in terms of evaluation, in terms of, you know, real, real hard and fast scholarship offers for next November. Yeah. I've talked to a number of college coaches and, and they've said, shared similar sentiments that they are excited because they finally get to see the players in person 
that maybe they've been recommended by play scouts such as yourself or high school coaches that work with players on a, on a daily basis or club program directors that they trust. Um, when you haven't been able to be in a gym and, and see the amount of players that you normally do in the course of a normal year, what is your plan of attack when you go to a large event knowing that you've got to get your eyes on as many players as possible because you're such a well-respected uh, analyst and evaluator? Well, to be quite honest, uh, <laughs> I only went from about uh, when the pandemic started, obviously, you know, I was, you know, the state, California State Southern Regionals had just ended literally. Uh, Sierra Canyon had just beaten um in a great game, beating Etiwanda on a Tuesday night, I think. And I think the NorCal finals were that night and the next night. Then, boom, everything kind of went hand in hand and a domino effect with, you know, not only Southern California and the entire state, but up and down the coast. And then, of course, uh, as you remember, you know, all the, um, I, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, the West Coast uh, Conference uh, playoffs had been the week before. So I think Gonzaga was one of the few teams, uh, you know, the WCC was one of the few leagues that actually gotten their conference tournament done. So, you know, it fell by the wayside. Uh, fortunately, uh, come June, uh, some of this was on a little bit on the down low. I was able to go to, uh, I went to a couple Southern California events that were kind of held under lock and key, if you will. So I got a chance to see a lot of Southern California kids in late June and then, Compton Magic in uh, late July, early August had an event in Corona, which is the site of a big, um, they call it the draft one, these multi-tier, uh, multi-court volleyball slash um, basketball facilities, which you will be bringing your team to in Irvine in Southern California, the Momentus, which is in Irvine right smack dab, uh, where the five and the 405s connected, the, the infamous El Toro Y, but uh, I was able to see that. And then Dino Stragonis, who you certainly know, um, nothing could be good. You know, finally everything was shut down in all of California, even Las Vegas, which has been, you know, the site for a, a lot of the basketball stuff, club basketball, if you will, and high school basketball, they shut it down. But St. George, Utah, uh, you know, right on the, the border of uh, Nevada and Utah, they stayed open and, and, and Dino's and a bunch of people were able to get a bunch of facilities. So I went to, I'd heard of St. George, Utah, but from August through mid, late September, I think I was there three times for, um, you know, the Rocky Mountain Summit, which I saw all the, you know, Caden Perry, Paolo Benchero, Nolan Hickman, who was very good, by the way. Um, and I saw those Seattle Rotaries. I saw uh, Carl, uh, Carl Howell's, um, Coach Howell's Washington Supreme team in a September event uh, in um saw Jackson Grant and, and guys like that, uh, John Christophilus. And so I saw that in September, saw Dino's had his frost off camps in St. George, Utah, in Dallas and Chicago. And then I actually saw stuff into the first weekend of November, Dino's had his, Trigonus had his Pangos All-American Festival, which kind of took the place for his Pangos All-American camp, which is a top 100 type of thing that he always owns in June in Southern California. And obviously that was canceled. So I was able to see that all weekend and see, you know, Chet Holmgren and Hickman and Banchero and uh, Jabari Smith, who's going to Auburn. So I saw literally, I think in that group, there was ended up being about 15 of the 20, 
four McDonald's, 25 McDonald's All-Americans, 24, excuse me, McDonald's All-Americans were there. So then after that, it really got uh, dicey a little bit. My wife, who is a health professional, she said, you know, enough's enough. She saw it daily. So until the vaccines come. So literally from middle of November until February, when I got vaccinated down here, then it was good to go again. Uh, I basically it was like coaches just you know, watching huddle, watching stuff. I or I had backlog on baller TV and things like that. So, but once February kicked in and Southern California finally started playing in Mayish, the high school, the legitimate high school, as we call it, not the club scene or grassroots scene, kicked in. And in fact, that just ended literally three weeks ago. So I was only really sidelined, if you will, for about two months. But uh, like the stuff that that's going on at section seven, I'd already seen 95% of the players in person. Uh, some of whom I hadn't seen obviously during that course. Cause some teams I didn't get down here as some players I wasn't able to see. So it was good to re- see guys I hadn't seen in a while or see, you know, a, a bunch of good underclassmen stuff, especially from the state of Washington. Um, so it was good. I get now, it, now it's, uh, and my thing is a lot of it's seeing coaches and clients I hadn't seen in person for, a year and a half. So it's checking up within and then watching players, see if anything changed in the evals I've had recently, or, you know, picking up new faces, especially underclassmen. And, you know, uh, you know, like what an example, while well, I see your team and it's, I think it's all class of 2024s basically, or uh, a couple of younger ones. So I'll see guys and note anybody like that and put down some observations and kind of file them away. And then, which is what I do the, the earlier I see a player that I kind of, get some thoughts on them and kind of collect a, a resume, if you will, on the players, or uh, it's just so I could see how they progress and, you know, do the, do, are they panning out? Are they getting better than I expected? You know, the physical growth, the skills growth, you know, attitudes, things like that. So that's what I'll basically be doing. So some of this will be a rehash for me, but again, you know, over the course of the next month, I'm going to see a lot of guys, uh, especially in the classes of 24 and some in 23 that, you know, are new to me and they kind of, start the process with them. Well, it sounds like you were able to stay pretty well connected to the scene and get to a lot of games uh, that were in different areas. And so you've got a great feel for it. So you've become a resource for a lot of college oh, yeah. coaches. Yeah. I mean, again, uh, I think that's what I think over the years of 30, 40 years that I've known a lot of guys, you know, from when they were high school coaches or high school players and, you know, multiple ones who are now, you know, MBA GMs or personnel directors or longtime head coaches, uh, you build up, as you well know, and in, in, in your role as a, as a not only basketball player, but now as a, a, me, a well-respected media person, you kind of build up uh, contacts and people who trust what you say and know that, you know, they can speak to you in confidence and give you some real insight uh, and, and vice versa without fear of it being, you know, made public if you will the the basketball world is is very well connected and there's a lot of intel that is shared uh amongst all levels high school to college college to the pros um and and there's differences of opinion on the value of aau versus the value of high school you're unique in the fact that you cover both very well and you're well connected in both scenes uh high school we'll talk touch on high school in a little bit but aau wise uh, how has that scene changed over, say, the last 15, 20 years? And is that your favorite setting to evaluate a player? Well, the the, the advantage of grassroots 
club ball, whatever you want to call it, AAU, which is, you know, a specific organization. But I, I think the best thing about that in the month of, you know, normally in a normal, you know, whatever it's going to pass for normal in the future, you see that in the spring because all the high school seasons in the traditional way are over in March. And this, this year was, this season was totally different. There was a total overlap. We, we literally in Southern California had guys playing, you know, at modern day, if you will, at Awanda, um, Corona Centennial who would play for their high school team. And then you see them in, in a little weekend showcase event, you know, uh, and they're, you know, they're playing there too. So the best thing I think about uh, the month of July, June, and then, you know, the, the, the grassroots stuff that normally you see in the spring is, you know, player identification and a unification of players, players who regionally haven't crossed paths with other players or even regionally in the West, like, you know, Washington players and their club teams, Rotary or Washington Supreme or Friends of Hoop or whatnot, they haven't really come to Southern California. They haven't come to Vegas. They haven't come to any of the grassroots things yet. And so when you do that, you see these guys, some of whom someone like myself maybe hadn't seen them since the previous fall or the last grassroots seasons, if I didn't see their uh, traditional high school team play. So again, you see, you see player ID. Now I, I think, uh, I think there are a lot of exceptions, you know, coach Howell, Washington Supreme, there's, there's nobody better on the grassroots scene. But I, I think if you think back when you were in clubs, uh, you know, 25 years ago or whatnot, I think there was a bigger overlap. I think, uh, you know, Ed Pebble, I think of as the classic example, you know, the guy who was historic, you know, one of the great high school coaches ever at Mercer Island. He had his own club program. So, uh, he would bring his Mercer Island players, you know, Quinn Steiner, one of the first guys I remember seeing for, for Ed Pebble and then his own players and then plus good regional players. So you had real legit high school. So things were run with structure. Players were held accountable. Uh, it wasn't just uh, a slop open court, do your own thing. Yell at the referees, get teasing. Uh, unfortunately now, and I don't want to paint a, a big swath paintbrush over all of them. But I think there's a lot of coaches who are on the club scene who really aren't qualified to be uh, club coaches. I think there's a lot of guys who are running these programs or coaching those programs. Again, it's, it's not a majority of them. I think there's a, a legitimate percentage though who are basically talent collectors who, who have an end to get players who may have a shoe contract, who has a budget to work for and they can lure players to their program and there's really no practices going on. There's no structure. Uh, you know, you watch it, the, the, the coaches are yelling at one another. I think uh, a good friend of mine, longtime high school coaches coined a firm, co coined the term that I kind of like. It's, I hate to, when I talk about some people in some of these programs, I hate to defile the term coach by calling them coach. So I, we call them suburbs, you know, you're not really coaching them. You're just, collecting the talent and then subbing it in and out. But again, you know, but that's, you know, probably the, the traditionalist to me and uh, the, the, I'm becoming the old crotchety guy that we used to laugh at when I was a kid. But I think it's true. I think, you know, again, a lot of exceptions, but I think uh, they're both good venues to evaluate players. And I think like most college coaches, I in fact like to see guys uh, in as many environments as possible in a club you know, AA, July camp, uh, hard, fast, um, 
Fab 48, uh, any, any kind of tournament where you're seeing, you know, players playing against players and maybe not as much structure or, or things like that as you like to see, but competition players against players. But then again, you want to see him with their high school coach where, you know, it's a guy who's being held accountable, who's um, can't just do anything he wants and still expect to play. You got to hold, you know, within the structure of, of the program and the academic requirements to stay eligible. I mean, not naming names, I, you know, you know, the internet has been a bit like, like everything else. The internet has been a, is a, been a boon for a, a lot of things, be it instant information and, uh, things that, that weren't available even 10, 20 years ago that you had to go to a public library or call an SID, you can get instantaneously. But unfortunately, it's also led to a lot of, um, I think, uh, things that have kind of hamstrung grassroots basketball and high school basketball in terms of uh, uh, the promotion, self-promotion by some club coaches or even high school coaches or players. It's, it's almost become two different sports uh, the sport that I like to see or a coach would like to see or you would like to see as a player and someone who admires basketball in its purest sense, what we see on a court and then what is projected and social media, be it, you know, highly stylized and highly edited clips to make players uh, showcase certain skills of basketball that aren't necessarily uh tangible when it comes to a college coach looking or an NBA coach or an NBA GM saying, yeah, that's the guy we want to draft. That's the guy we want to, uh, you know, give a scholarship to because he's breaking ankles or he's dunking on somebody and taunting them. You know, again, that's something else and it's part of the game and it's, it's here. It's not going to go away, but I think, uh, I think college coaches have to, as, as NBA people do when they sort it all out and make their decisions like they're going to do in a couple of weeks, uh, you got to kind of sort through it all and, and come to the real purity of what kind of player is he and what kind of player he can be. Yeah. I love that term that you use and I'm going to have to try to refrain from becoming one of those. I don't want to become a subber when I yeah. coach. Well, just <laughs> make sure that in just in case, you know, before and after the game, show good sportsmanship and, you know, even if he has more players than you and you know he's winning just because he's playing some guys who are probably 17 or 18 against your 15-year-olds, shake his hand and say, good job, supper, and see how he reacts. <laughs> I definitely will. That's <laughs> awesome. When when you talk about, you know, some of the, the negative uh, programs that are out there, there's also a lot of really good and positive oh. programs. Is there a program or two that, that come to mind for you that um, from director on down to coaches – they coach, they teach, they develop, they hold kids accountable. Um, they're organized. They're well connected with with the college coaches, and they've got their best kids. They're, they're in the kids' best interest at heart. Give me a couple examples of, of programs that you feel fall into that category. Well, I mean, for the ones you're familiar with, I mentioned Coach Howell at Washington Supreme, who's as good as it gets. I mean, you know, from you could see not only does he show do his teams do, you know, he's on the Under Armour circuit. Washington Supreme, but just seeing the players in terms of how they play, you know, don't you get, a, a, you know, like you do a, a good high school team or a good NBA team or uh, a good college team where I, 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 again, maybe I've been, I'm too much of a traditionalist. Don't you get a kick out of saying, well, that team is well drilled. That team is playing together. That team is playing for one another. That team 
has more than just a bunch of individual agendas on the coach's side and on the player's side. And I think when you see, you know, Washington Supreme or, you know, what we might've seen with Rotary Select and in, in last summer would have been, I, I find it hard to believe barring injury or something that I'm not aware of that uh, they wouldn't have just, if not rules, certainly been very, very difficult to beat on the EYBL in the spring EYBL season. And then, and then Peach Jam, when you go down their roster, and again, I was fortunate enough, uh, Hennings brought the team to Dinos's, uh, uh, Trigonis's uh, Rocky Mountain Hoop Summit thing at St. George. And so I was able to see, you know, Paolo Banchero, Caden Perry, who in my humble estimation is the biggest sleeper among bigs in, in the national class of 21. I think, you know, he's not going to be as good as Holmgren is or Banchero is at Duke right away, but two, three, four years from now, and by all accounts, he he's, he wants to be a player. He's willing to work at it, and he has patience. His, his innate athletic skill, I think, is second to none in terms of guys his size in the, that class. So when you see you know Hickman and um, uh, Noel, who's going to Arizona, and Banchero, and the great football player, which is I guess committed to Ohio State. I mean, that was a, a heck of, and they played together. I mean, that's when I think I'd seen Hickman in the spring of 2000 a lot. Excuse me, spring of 2019, I guess. Yeah, spring of 2019 a lot. And into the summer when he was playing uh, EYBL 16s, Rutgers Select 16 with Banchero. Of course, everybody was going to see Banchero because he already had a rep by then. And I think I was in the Atlanta suburb, so I watched Hickman play four times. I go, wow, this guy is you know, really, really, really good. And then I had a chance to see him um, uh, last September, you know, late August in St. George. And I thought, this guy's as good as any point guard in, in the country. And I thought he was, you know, later on at Dino's deal in, in, in uh, the uh, Pango South American Festival in Arizona and Chandler, Arizona at Compass Prep. And then, you know, through the, um, by all accounts, through the Allen Iverson All-American Games, which was, I think, the only game actually played on, on a national thing in the spring. You know, we, we, I think the rest of the country probably figured out what myself and you as, as a former point guard um, who appreciates the way he plays, um, had a chance to see him play. So, again, that was great. So, again, that program, the programs, uh, you know, uh, Reggie Morris is now the head of the Why Not EYBL, which had been the two straight championship games previous to the pandemic. And, you know, he's been on a lot of great high schools and uh, he's at LA Fairfax now coached Russell Westbrook and uh, Why Not's the Russell Westbrook fronted EYBL program. They're outstanding. You know, Compton Magic, uh, when you look at the, the last few NBA drafts and, and this NBA draft with, you know, last year with uh, Onyeko Kamu and, this year with Evan Mobley and maybe Isaiah Mobley, depending on what decision he makes by um, tomorrow night to return to SC or stay in the draft pool. Uh, Compton Magic has been very successful on the Adidas thing. Uh, Colorado Hawks, all, all the programs up and down. Uh, West Coast Elite is the Under Armour program in Southern California. So I, I think the Western part of the U.S. especially has been pretty fortunate that there's a lot of options for players and their parents uh, to choose from. It gets a little contentious sometimes I think when especially in the, on the EYBL front when uh, programs are competing for a high profile 15 16 year olds and maybe a little unsightly in terms of all that represents but again I, I think 
there's certainly plenty of uh, options where they can, you know, get the exposure, um, uh, play the competition, and also be getting a, a pretty good fundamental base as much as you can teach guys in, in, in limited number of practices in the spring or summer. Good programs, and obviously, in listening to you describe them, you're very knowledgeable of those. You know, with the pandemic having happened, and now all of a sudden, all these program directors and tournament directors are trying to catch up for lost time, and they're running events back to back weekends, it seems, from here until the start of the school year. Um, but you're also yeah, starting to yeah. see younger age tournaments happening, and in turn, now there's ranking of younger and younger players. I, for example, I think it's 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 too early. Nobody knows how a player is going to develop until at least you're in high school. What is your take as someone who's been in it for so long when you start seeing these fifth, sixth, seventh grade rankings? I, I think evaluation, like so many things, you know, evaluations of players, be it for high school players relative to their potential success on the college level to college players to their potential success on the NBA level. It's an inexact science at the very best. I mean, you know, Jerry West certainly has a reputation uh, among NBA peers uh, over the course of years of being one of the more profound general manager uh, evaluators, if you will, decision makers. And, you know, I could go down the list and and think of a lot of the guys that he, he selected that didn't pan out as well as, you know, the Kobe Bryant's and his ability to identify guys that are very early in age. I, I, I think, um, and putting this not too graphically, I, I think it's almost like when you see rankings of fifth, sixth, seventh graders, it's almost a little bit like kitty porn, you know. Uh, the people who are doing it, I think, are doing it for clicks or doing it for whatever number, you know, whatever monetary reward they get on social media or how they monetize it. But again, you know, some of the best players, you know, you know, if someone would have saw, you know, we talked about Russell Westbrook or James Harden, you know, two guys that I saw when they were ninth grade on and they were, you know, Russell Westbrook was five, seven, 125. Harden was like five, 10, 150. And again, you saw them, you know, I saw them with their high school Southern Convention. But again, anybody who would have been ranking ninth graders uh, wouldn't say how these guys are elite. And again, I, I've saw a multitude of guys. And I'm sure you played against guys when you were 13, 14, 15 years old who just dominated uh, maybe yourself or, or, or guys like yourself went on to maybe late, you know, develop later and were, you know, maturation came a little later as well as skills development guys that you remember as 12, 13 year old. And you think, God, whatever happened to that kid, he kicked everybody's ass. And, you know, you know, God bless Shea Cotton, great kid, great kid, you know, great man, a great family that I've known forever. But he was a, you know, the classic guy who at age 13, 14, he was already 6'4", 220 and just, you know, going vertical on everybody and just dominated. But again, uh, the, the beauty in my mind about, basketball is it always remains a game for the most part a game of skill skill in terms of skills development how you develop and the ability to understand the game and not that you know he had a great understanding of the game but you know I remember uh, you know ego ego promoting story on my part but I remember Tayshaun Prince was I think a year younger than Shea Cotton and they played against each other on a lot of same teams and Tayshaun Prince when he was 
a sophomore in high school was five, six, five, maybe 150. And then, you know, got a little bigger, you know, he was like six, even when he was uh, at Kentucky he was then, but Shea Cotton, he was six, four, two twenty, And the more stuff again, not to nitpick Shea, great player, you know, great high school career and played well, uh, you know, overseas and stuff. But the more, uh, you know, coaches I knew who taught me about the game and, and the more I understood the game and certain limitations Shea had skill wise and, certain things that that you see were going to blossom later i thought to myself you know he i i could see tayshawn being a better college player playing a lot longer than jay and I, you know people would have thought i you know told him that you know there was no santa claus or something but again it's part of the evaluation period you say okay you know my wife who i've been married to 15 years she knew a little bit about basketball and she knows a lot more now in terms of coaches and stuff but I could set her in front. I tell this story. I, I could set her in front of an NBA game, a college game, and probably a high school game with no names and nobody. And she could watch for 10 minutes and she could say, okay, who is the best player there? And she could point out the best player. I think the difference of doing that, uh, where you separate people who college coaches or NBA GMs or people like myself, you separate the people is, okay, I can say, you know, LeBron in high school was great or any number of players in high school are very good, but can you give a good estimation of what he's going to look like two, three years from now in college or four or five years from now? And, um, you know, as NBA players, I think that's what separates on all levels of basketball, the ability to evaluate, uh, which again, I'm dragging this out and uh, stop me if you want, but the classic example, this is again, Paulo Banchero, great player, great dad, great family, great roots is going to be, uh, you know, a tremendous player uh, in his one year with Duke. You know, obviously, unless something catastrophic happens, injury-wise, he'll play for Duke and go in the NBA draft. And then I compare him to a guy like Chet Holmgren, who I've seen them play against each other in the same setting multiple times, USA Basketball, uh, um uh, NBA Players Association camp, who's, um, you know, is moving from Charlottesville to to Orlando the, and later this summer, and I'm on John Lucas and stuff. And I see a guy like uh, Holmgren, and I think to myself, you know, I, I saw some people speculating on some of the major sports news sites about, well, maybe Banchero, he'll heal because he's so much stronger, and, and Holmgren is so thin, and how is he going to deal with that in college or the NBA Hey, Kevin Durant, when he was the same age as Holmgren, was about 6'9", six, six, 185, 190. You know, look at Holmgren's dad. You want to tell me he's not going to get, you know, he's narrow of frame. You want to tell me he's not going to gain 30, 40 pounds by the time he's an NBA rookie, you know, 18 months from now or whatever. And I think that separates Holmgren from just about every player I've seen in the last 20 years as his combination of size, uh, ball handling, passing, shooting skills, and the ability. I was thinking about this during the day when I know it's going to be on you. You think about guys who impact, they talk about, you always hear, oh, he impacts games at both ends of the floors. And you can think of, you know, all the great Gonzaga players or anybody in college basketball. But seeing Holmgren, and, and as you get to watch him more with, you know, with Gonzaga and in uh, workouts or, or whatnot during the season, Holmgren impacts the game in every facet of the game, even at six eleven or seven foot, seven foot two hundred or whatever. I mean, he is 
stunning as a ball handler playmaker. He can pass it. He can create things off the path in the open court, half court. He's as good a shot blocker as I've seen in, in, in the high school level going into college since, you know, I don't know. I mean, he's a quick jumping. He, he, as thin as he is, nobody takes the ball away from him in traffic. Now, can he be pushed off the block? Oh yeah. You know, he's narrow of hips. So somebody's going to, the minute he posts up, somebody's going to shove him off the block. That's going to happen. But all the other skill parts, no comparison. I, I've, I've said this and I believe it. And there's NBA guys who've seen him enough to go along. I think if Holmgren was in the draft last year, just, okay, evaluate him for two months and pick it. Anybody, I think he would have been the first pick last year. He would be the first pick later this month. And barring something weird, he's going to be the first pick you know, if in fact he's in the 222 draft. So I think a guy like him really challenges the traditional evaluators or people who pass themselves off as evaluators in a lot of the media sites and things like that. Again, his skill level is so high. His innate athleticism is ridiculous. The things he can do is just mind boggling. And I, I, I think even with the excitement uh, of the Gonzaga people, the, Gonzaga people and, 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 and the nation as a whole and the people who obviously there's other reasons, but are, are going to have Gonzaga number one going in the season be, in large part because, you know, Drew's coming back and, and home is going to do, I don't even think most people realize how really, really good people, a couple of NBA guys I know and college guys who just went to watch, you know, specific players who were at the, uh, some of the guys, you know, by the way, who went to watch the workouts and, and, um, in Fort Worth with Jamie Dixon at TCU, then, then the 19 and others guys who were there a couple of days that ago, the things home was doing was just, you had to shake your head at the things he's capable of. So uh, I, I think a big challenge for uh, a pleasant challenge uh, for coach few and his staff is going to be, okay, how do we take best advantage of all the things he's capable of doing uh, offensively, defensively, as a playmaker, as a shooter. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting just to see how they capitalize and ex- not exploit, but take advantage of all the things he could do. It's, it's going to be that to me, that's going to be one of the real interesting parts of the season, along with, you know, the great games or wins up being going to the final forwards just to see uh, the things that, 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 that staff can do with what I believe is a, you know, like LeBron, like Kevin Durant, if you will, uh, like, like, like I think what Williamson's going to be in his 10 year window. And I think Holmgren is be as, as they say, a, a generational talent and a generational player. Well, that's a tremendous breakdown. And I know a lot of Gonzaga fans who do listen to this podcast are going to be excited listening to your evaluation because for more times than not, you have been spot on with guys. So Frank, I appreciate you joining. My I'm pleasure. Looking forward to, uh, looking forward to c- crossing paths at some point uh, down in Southern California this month. Thanks for again for joining as well as being an advocate for SB Live. Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, the next Dick Owl. I, need, I get to evaluate and, uh, you know, send out those evaluations. And I, I'm going to be honest, brother, so don't expect any favors. <laughs> I appreciate that. I know you'll be honest, and that'll be a good uh, – a kind of a starting platform for my yeah. son and his group uh, to know what they need to work on and, and where they need to improve. So thanks again for joining. Have a great day. You too, Dan. Look forward to seeing you this week, buddy. Bye-bye. 
The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.